0: The rest of you can do two things. One is you can pull out your outline this morning. It's tucked in or near your Welcome to Community Groups pamphlet that you got on the way in. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Secondly, open your Bibles up to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, right there in the New Testament. That's where we're going to be this morning, Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one um, in front of you, and that can be yours. If you don't own a Bible, we would gladly gift that to you. We won't even check up on you to make sure you're reading it, although we think it's a great idea to read it. We're a funny bunch, and not just us here, but people in general, and that is this. We get so worked up over situations about which we have no control. All of us get so worried, even if you're not a typical worrier, you build things up in your mind, and you get almost consumed about an upcoming event about which you cannot change. And then on the back end of that... This thing that looms so large and consumes so much of your energy and your thought life and your worry shrunk down to this little tiny thing. Think about a job interview that maybe you had. Maybe it was an important relationship conversation. Maybe it was your first day of classes at West Valley College. Whatever it might have been, you were heading into it and you were concerned about it. You were thinking about it. You were running scenarios. And then the interview happened. And then the conversation happened. And then class happened. And if you could just go back to yourself a few weeks ago, you would say this to yourself. Hey, younger self, by a few weeks, don't sweat it. Don't worry about this. This is going to seem this large, but it's smoke screen. It's all mirrors. It's really a tiny little deal. Don't sweat it. Now, that is a little, that is a little dramatization, if you will, of of the way that we are going to think about our lives on the other side of eternity. There is coming a day for all of us, and we don't really know when it is. Uh, Yesterday, I was on a bike ride with some friends, and we were riding around, and most cars give you enough room when they pass. Uh, Some don't. And we were riding, and Mackenzie Donato was behind me by a couple of feet, and he goes, and a car whizzed by, and you could almost feel that, You know, that that rear view mirror sticking out. And he goes, that was a couple feet. I'm like, yeah. Like, we felt that one. That was just different. That one felt different than all the other cars passing us. Could have been gone like that. We don't know when our time is going to come. But there's coming a day that's going to happen when all of a sudden we'll be on the other side of eternity. And we're going to look back on this side of eternity. And we're going to think about things that seem so huge to us that really don't matter much. Achievements. Job titles, stuff. Here's how I know this. Think about think about every guilty pleasure you have. By the way, right now, I'm not going to ask you to confess your guilty pleasure, but by definition, it's a guilty pleasure. Why? Because you'd be ashamed if people saw how important this was to you. Right? You just joined the One Direction fan club. And it's kind of a guilty pleasure. Like I don't even know why I'm so into this, but I'm going to join that thing. You're going to keep that one tight, right? Unless you're a junior high girl, then it's acceptable, right? Ben and Jerry's late at night. Not a scoop or two, but the whole pint, right? That's a little guilty pleasure, right? You're like, yeah, I don't think I want people knowing how much I really crave Ben and Jerry's right now, that I'm going to drive out of my car and go get some. Whatever that guilty pleasure is, by definition, it's there because you realize, wow, this thing is, is bigger in my life than, than I would even like to kind of give weight to or, or tell people about. The reason that I know this is true and the reason that you will know this is true and agree with me in a split second if you don't believe me yet is this. We get a glimpse of this by talking to people on their deathbed. We get a glimpse of how silly things are that loom really large right now this week where we're sitting. But on the deathbed, you look back and you go, yeah, that wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, achievements, no one on their deathbed sits there and their achievement goes, you know, I was on this traveling soccer team in eighth grade. We were good, man. <laughs> Those were the best days of my life. Yeah, I'm going to miss that. We, we, we don't think about that. We don't think about Taylor guitars. I, I, I love guitars. And to be handed a brand new guitar right now, that would be a cool thing. I'd be like, wow, sweet. That's an amazing guitar. It's well-crafted. Not going to miss my guitar on my deathbed. The things people talk about when they're staring eternity right in the face is what? People. Relationships. Those closest to them. They're talking about things that the Bible says last forever, people and God's words. You know what else they're talking about? They're talking about eternity. They're talking about their own mortality. They're talking about either the fear or the hope or the joy that they have crossing this this line into eternity. I bring all this up because of this. In the church, you would think that we have a corner on this because we deal in eternity a lot. We talk about eternity a lot. But isn't it possible, in fact, isn't it probably a regular occurrence for a church to get caught up in things that, in terms of weight, are really about this big and don't loom large as one of the bigger, weightier things? Every time a church gets more wrapped up and more concerned in their buildings and in their budgets and in their numbers of people, their attendance, all those kinds of numbers just for numbers sake, I'd say they're getting on ground of dealing with little trivial things that don't matter much. Every single time that a church or a person in a church brags and thinks there's some just really big thing about the, the sheer size and quality and number of people that came to the last Christmas musical, I, I think just in and of itself, we're, we're, we're getting into trinkets. We're getting into little non-weighty things. Now, think about programs. Even programs, though having the intent maybe to point toward weightier things, can turn into a trinket thing if we're not careful. So, for instance, this morning, today, we are having our big community group on ramp. That's why when you walked in, you were handed a little document that says, welcome to community groups at Neighborhood Bible Church. And so, as we talk about community groups, as we talk about small groups, life groups, whatever they've been called in a church of your past or what you think it might be, we call them community groups here. We recognize that it's possible to make it a trinket thing instead of a weighty thing, if we're not careful. Churches have been engaged in working on this idea of community groups for two millennia. They've been thinking this through. Now, what if Neighborhood Bible Church nails it? Let's say that we get 80% of our people into a vibrant community group. By any standard, that would be just phenomenal. That would be a huge work of God. But... Just that percentage and just having community groups for their sake without some some underlying work and some foundation can be trinket. It can be scratching the surface instead of really getting to the meat of what it's about. I would say that much of what we see in churches, in fact, that we term Christian fellowship, Christian, Christian community, is far from the biblical truth or the biblical reality of what biblical community is. Now, I don't stand up here as one of the pastors of this church and figure, say that we have this figured out. I'm just, I'm just pointing something out that we're guarding against and talking about as a church leadership. Here's the deal. Our effort, our work is going to be tested with fire. So let's say we pour all this energy into building up our community groups because we see that in Scripture and we think that's an important thing to do. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3. Each one's work will become manifest or shown, for the day will disclose it. That's Judgment Day. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So, for our church, and all the churches in the greater South Bay area, listen to this. What if our effort, and our slick logos, and our cool on-ramps, and all the great follow-up, And all the effort and all the whip into a frenzy is nothing more than a Duraflame log that lights up. And what happens to a Duraflame log after a couple hours? It's gone. If you take a poker to it, it's gone in like 20 minutes. It's just it gone, poof. That keeps me awake at night. It really does. Not in a negative sense, but in a good sense. I'm driven to not build a Duraflame log church. I don't want to build a Duraflame log life. So as we talk about Community groups, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to think critically about community groups before I make a pitch to all of you to join a community group, all right? That's where we're going this morning, kind of a, kind of a standalone thing. We have a little play button around here that we like to use, and it helps us think about uh, what the Christian life is about. And we see this as really kind of a process that it starts in the upper left corner that that worship begins with a relationship with God from worshiping ourselves or the creation or things to worshiping God. And that's an act of God, by the way, to open our eyes to that reality. Once we come into a relationship with God, God puts us in a family. It's called the local church. People all the time who are hurt by a church, I tell them this. I say, you know what? Don't go to a church because a pastor told you to. Don't go to a church because someone else is is, is telling you. you. You start following Jesus, and guess what? He will lead you to the local church, period. He will lead you to the local church. He loves the church. He purchased the church. He's building his church. He's gifted his church. Guess what Jesus is doing? He's in the church. He loves his bride. So you start following Jesus, you start getting intimate with Jesus, you will end up in a local church. Despite all its faults, all its problems, that's where you're going to be led to. So worship and community are there, but worship and community have a point. And the point is to share it. Without this third triangle, without where this arrow is pointing to, we would not be a New Testament church, period. And a lot of churches, frankly, struggle with me and God and me and other people. Me and God, me and my peeps. Back and forth they go, and it's a cul-de-sac. Eventually, you know what happens to those churches? God allows those churches to die. So, worship and community really are just a support system for the mandate to go and make disciples. When we use the word share around this church, we mean two things. We mean evangelism which is to share the most important thing we could ever share with someone. That's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it means this. It means the self-sacrificial lifestyle of being a servant. That means sharing your stuff, sharing your house, sharing your time, sharing your tears, sharing your talents, sharing your money, your resources, and saying, man, it's for the kingdom. We're going to do what Jesus wants us to do and build the kingdom of God. The word koinonia, uh, which is a word in the scriptures, which is often translated fellowship, means, a, means something. In fact, it's not even really a Christian word. It's, it's a word basically that means to have in common. And the one who liked this word the most was Paul. Paul grabbed this word and used it quite a bit. For a while in the 90s, there was something called, a lot of, a lot of churches had the koinonia coffee shop. Like they would take like this school hip Greek word and put it next to a coffee shop. And what's funny about that is when you really get a sense, I'm going to show you what Christian fellowship really is about. When you get a sense of what koinonia is about, I don't know that coffee shop is really the, the ring that it has, that it, that, it, that it should have. Let me show you what I mean. Um, to think about the word share, it's uh, koinonia doesn't just have the idea of having something in common, but listen to these added nuances to it. Participation, partnership, contribution. It's the idea of a common goal or mission. So it's not just that we have something in common, but that we're doing something in common together. Do you, do you see the difference? So it's not just hanging out and having something in common, but we're also having something in common with a point, right? Um. Let me let me tell you what I think much of what is meant by a lot of uh, when people talk about Christian fellowship, um, eating, right? You go to a fellowship. What happens at a church fellowship? There's food, right? There's food and 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 talking. A lot of times it's chit chat, it's small talk. You kind of talk about different things. There's together this. There's being together. There's time spent together. And then people go home. A lot of times Christian fellowship termed Christian fellowship is is that kind of thing. I would say if that's what we're talking about with Christian fellowship, uh, we should call it Duraflame. Come to the Duraflame Christian fellowship because all of that is going to burn up and go away. There's nothing distinctly Christian about that even or biblical about that. Is that easy to do? Yeah. Some of you are like, well, small talk is kind of not my, my specialty, but talking, eating, hanging out, yeah, I can do that. Duraflame. What if that's all it is? We could have potluck after potluck after potluck around here and look back on years of it and get the end of it and go, wow, in light of eternity, poof, gone. If small groups is that, we're in a world of hurt. Just because we are close in proximity does not mean that we are connected, and that is a massive difference, right? You just go look at a chain this afternoon. I know you have a bunch of chains laying around. Go find a chain. Imagine those puppies laying close by but not connected. Huge difference. One's useful, one is useless. If our Christian fellowship is us being in close proximity without being linked, there's no koinonia going on. All right, what is Christian fellowship? Let me let me blitz through this fairly quickly uh, because I just want us to get straight on it. Christian fellowship is first fellowship with God. Listen to First Corinthians nine or one nine. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship, koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So first and foremost, Christian fellowship is about people who are in fellowship with God. Community groups fundamentally are a group of people coming together to meet with God. So if week after week after week you're in a community group and you're not meeting with God, raise your hand and tell someone. That's like a little small fire burning, and you think something's wrong. It probably is. Ask about that. If we get together and this looks no different than a book club you were once in, that's a problem. We are meeting with God. That's what community groups are about. Number two, Christian community is grounded in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship, koinonia, with us. Not just something in common, but a participation that you may con- uh, make a contribution now to what we're doing. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. He ties it right back into point one. Our fellowship is founded on the gospel. And by the way, let me point it back to the fact that we're all united to, uh, to the head, or else we're nothing. Number three, just an observation about Christian fellowship, it's dramatized in communion. We just took communion. We just participated together in something. We were just reminded corporately about something. First Corinthians 10 says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation, koinonia, in the blood of Christ? That doesn't sound like it belongs in a coffee shop, does it? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? What happened to the body of Christ? It was sacrificed, friends. It was beaten. It was mistreated. It was broken. Disfigured. That's part of what we remember. Jesus, if they hated you, they're going to hate his followers. It's part of the sober reminding of communion, isn't it? Finally... Christian fellowship is not easy. When has sharing ever been easy? Never. We have some kids that are better at sharing in our house than others, but you know what? It's never easy. Philippians 3.10 says this, Paul writing from a prison, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share, koinonia, participate in his sufferings, Becoming like him in his death. You want a vision for the Christian life? That's the one Paul gives us. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me, Jesus said. Sharing's about death to self, sacrifice, faith. Because as you share with others, as you give stuff away, you know what you're going to be worried about? You're going to be worried about if your own needs are met. If you give emotional energy in here, you're going to worry about, well, what about me? Not take faith. What if you have deep faith that God's got you? God, if you've called me to give away my time, you're going to somehow redeem my time. Some of you know all about this. It's phenomenal. And week after week after week, you can, you can discover God making weird little deposits in your emotional tank, in your time bank, and you go, man, I don't know if you're making the sun go backwards right now, but somehow the more I sacrificially give away, the more I find my life. Does this sound vaguely familiar at all? Those are the words of Jesus. So Christian fellowship, again, I don't know if Koinonia was the best name for a coffee house. Maybe. It'd be the coolest coffee house in the world if you said, now, everyone get your cup, let's talk about what Christian fellowship's all about. That'd be a cool, that'd be a cool thing. I don't know that many of them were. So as a church, we asked this question, how should we move people into fellowship, into Christian community? Think about it. If you were a pastor, a church leader, an elder of some sort, how should we do that? Churches have tried a whole bunch of different ways. Fall. Fall is this great time to start things, right? There's so many things that start up in fall. Therefore, what you see is you see kickoffs, and you see drives, and you see even in church, ministry pushes to things. Um, Here's here's what we think about community groups and relationship, is we don't want to kick, drive, or push today. The way Jesus enters into relationship, he, he stands at the door, and he knocks, and what does he do? He waits to be invited in. We read in the Gospels, he would wow people, and then he would invite them to follow, and then he, guess what he'd do? Then he'd leave. He'd just start walking. And sometimes people followed and sometimes they didn't. He didn't sit around and go, please. He didn't beg. He didn't cajole. He didn't get them in a headlock, give them a noogie. He didn't, he didn't force them. He didn't guilt them. He didn't do any of those things. So with community groups today, let me, let me just take, take a little load off. We're not going to do any of those things. Call a flag on us. Throw a flag on us if you you see that going on. That's not our intent at all. You know what this morning's about? This morning is about wooing you into into a community group. To woo is to pursue romantically. Now, this metaphor breaks down a little bit. You're like, wow, that's really weird. But not so much. Jesus Christ is the husband. His bride is the church. He pursues us in a love relationship. Check it out. It's all through the scriptures. He pursues us romantically, as it were. So we want to woo you into a community group. I want want you to be compelled from the scriptures. I want you to be compelled from your own life and the need that you go, wow, that's something that I want to go participate in. That's something that, as a Christian, I am to participate in. It's different than guilt. It's wooing you in. Community groups at Neighborhood Bible Church. Um, I want you to think about the last bad habit that somehow you broke free of. Chances are that the last bad habit that you broke free of, you broke free of because you developed a new habit. Think about it for a minute. Someone said it this way, and I believe it's true. It takes a habit to break a habit. Some of you may be In a bad habit without even knowing it. If you're a Christian today and you're living in isolation, that's a bad habit. That's not living how God wants you to live. Now, maybe isolation is a little bit too strong of a word. I mean, you have friends and you have family and you have people that you do stuff with. But maybe you're still isolated. Maybe you're close, right? But not really connected. The word isolated simply means far away, little contact or much in common, remote, unconnected. God calls us to a life together. When he calls us to become a Christian, it's not same old, same old in any area of our life, and that includes our social life. Some of our bad habits that we were in need to change. We become radically reborn Look at Acts chapter 2. I want to read Acts chapter 2, and it's a familiar passage if you grew up in the church. It's a great passage because it shows us a little glimpse of what happened not long after Jesus left and the early church uh, started to find its way. One of the things I don't want you to do is put on like, romantic lenses and think that it stayed this way for long because if you keep reading your Bible, you realize we shouldn't idealize the early church as if they never had problems, they never struggled with sin. That's what much of the rest of the Bible is about, untangling these early Christians. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. Before coming to Christ, you were devoted to some things. Christ came and you you got reborn. And as a reborn, remade person, your devotions changed. Those of you who are married in here understand this, right? In your single life, you're devoted to certain behaviors and activities and hobbies and things that you like to do. Once you got married, those better have changed. Doesn't mean all of them had to change. But fundamentally, there's a shift that goes on once you get married. And the things that maybe you were devoted to before change in light of, I do until death do us part. So it is with Christ. Jesus teaches us some things about what this looks like. And as he talks to people, he gives them brand new visions. Hey, fisherman, come here, follow me. Invitation, right? Just a gentle knock. Hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men from now on. Career fishermen said, that sounds pretty good. That's a new vision. Guess what? Did their devotions change? You bet their, their devotions changed. Their lifestyle radically got upended. In our passage today, we see the word devoted themselves. These new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship. Do you hear it? The apostles' teachings... Coming together to hear from God's word. I'm preaching to the choir right now. That's what we're doing in here. That's what many of you have made a habit of doing, is coming together to hear from God's word. And to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the life together, to the connectedness. It's not just enough to be close proximity. We want to be connected our attempt at programming that is community groups. We want to be devoted to the apostles' teachings. We want to be devoted to the fellowship. What's powerful as you go on in that that passage is it says this, uh, that all were doing these things. All who believed, verse 44, were together and had all things in common and they got to see signs and wonders going on all around them. At Neighborhood Bible Church, we have intentionally been laser-focused on just a handful of things. We read the New Testament. We saw that the family of God gets together, and they celebrate the great workings of God, and they sit under biblical teaching, and they gather for communion, and they celebrate baptism, and they gather for prayer. That's what we're doing right now. We also see that they were devoted to the fellowship. We see that day by day they'd meet together. They'd break bread together. They'd have happy and generous hearts that they shared, that they met awfully a lot more than just once a week. And so community groups became a launching pad for that. We're focused on just a couple of things because we know some things. We just finished a whole series called Greater Than. And what we know from the Greater Than series is this, that good pushes out, and I would say stronger, drowns out. The great. So it's possible for a church to do a lot of good things and then drown out great things. What are the great things? What's the great commandment? The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great commandment. It's not good or so-so. It's great. That means it's utmost and foremost. What's the great commission? Tell me, church. Go. Go into all the world and what? Make disciples. And then teach them all the stuff I've taught you, which will make what? It will make disciples who make other disciples and teach them to do all that he's commanded. And then they'll teach others. You know what that does? That changes the world. Those are great things. So at NBC, for a lot of years, part of our primary role as a leadership has been to say no to like 98% of the great things. Many I've said no to many of you. Hey, Dave, we should do this ministry. If it gets in the way of great and great and doesn't fit into that, we've said no to that by and large. That's the reason. That's number one. Good drowns out great. Here's the second reason we're so committed and so focused on doing a couple of things really, really well, and community groups is one of our main programs. People ask what kind of programs I have. I go, this is a short conversation. Sunday morning worship and community groups. Now, mixed into that, do you have youth group? We do have youth group, but I'll tell you, youth group sure fits in with our whole church body. They're sitting with us right now. We don't like to separate them out to go do their own thing and then try to bridge them back into big church, real church, adult church later on. That seems silly to us. Second reason we focus on community groups is this. People, you, me, will tend toward comfortable and what's known even if it's wrong. Giant case in point, the Israelites. The Israelites were being led out to a promised land, but what did they beg for? Slavery, mistreatment, no land, no inheritance. Leave the milk and honey, we'll take Egypt. Why? That's bizarre. No, it's not. It's comfortable and it's known. So we know that given a choice of a hundred things you wouldn't choose the most important thing. Neither would I. Given the choice of stay and do fellowships and run the Koinonia Coffee House or go, we'll never choose go. So Jesus made it really simple: a hey, church, one objective, go, go make disciples. Back to that first slide, written in word written in red at the top of the play button, are two words: make disciples. They're written in red because that's Jesus talking. Red is in red in your Bible. And those two words are massively important to all that we're doing here. The why matters. The why matters to community groups. And I'm going to wrap up with a few minutes spending on this. Here's what community groups are not. Okay, I want to dispel some of the things of what we're not talking about when we talk about community groups at Abraham Bible Church. Here is number one. To make new friends and have a swell time with people. Again, this can happen. This is not distinctly Christian. Like the word koinonia, not distinctly Christian. This can happen online. This can happen in Little League. This can happen in a bar, at the office, at a Tough Mudder, uh CrossFit event, whatever, right? It can happen in all kinds of things. So to make friends and have a good time with people is not it. Here's number two, is to have support when trouble comes. Friday, I was sitting in my front room with my daughter, Tegan, and Tegan looks out the window and sees this, this dog. What kind of dog do you guys have, Cummins? Oh, it's a standard poodle. OK. I always think of those as little. It's a big poodle. So it looks just like your dog. I think it was a poodle. So it's a big poodle, standing this tall in our front yard. And, uh, and Tegan saw it. And so we walk out and, and go try to help this dog. And we call you know, call to us, call him to us. And we find his little tag. His name's Tahoe Joe. We're like, hey, Tahoe Joe. We're petting him and stuff. So we get him on leash. And we call. There's two numbers. We call the two numbers. First one's a recording. Second one, we get a guy. And he's frantic. And and we go, hey, we got Tahoe Joe. He's doing great. Oh, thank you so much. Where do you live? He goes, I'll be right there. He comes and pulls up. We give him Tahoe Joe. And then he looks at me and he goes, hey, didn't you guys have a dog once that we caught when, when you were gone? I said, yeah, like about four years ago. His name was Maverick. Yeah, Maverick. I said, you live around the court then. Your name's Bob. You live around the court. And your son was the one that brought, yeah. (laughs) No way. And then he says this to me. He goes, well, now we're even. (laughs) Here's what some people view community groups as. Relationship insurance. I'm going to pay a little bit of my time over the course of six months. Every week I'm going to go. I don't really want to go. I'm not really going to participate. I'm certainly not going to link up with anyone to do life together. I'm going to be close proximity. But you know what? When I get put in the hospital some future day, I know my small group has to visit me. When I need help moving someday, I know that I'm going to call my community group. When I need meals brought in because my wife's death, deathly sick and can't get out of bed and I'm working you know two jobs to make ends meet, I'm going to have, I'm going to have that network of support. Now, no one really voices this or goes into it, but when we talk about a community group just being a support like that, it's a little bit like relationship insurance. Pay a little bit in each week so that you'll eventually have on on a rainy day some people to look out after you. That's using people. That's not at all what we're talking about with with community groups at at Neighborhood Bible Church. Uh, Number three, some of these people think of it as cheap seminary, right? Um, Our prime focus at community groups is not perfect systematic doctrine. It's not memorization. You will get no badges, no patches, and no gold stars at our community groups, even though we'll be in the scriptures every single week. Now, will you make new friends in your community group? Yes. Will you have a swell time with people? Often, yes. You'll also have a lousy time with people, because that's the way family works. Will you have support in times of trouble over and over and over again at this church? It's a resounding yes. Of course you will. You'll have both the opportunity to go celebrate a little kid's birthday of someone in your community group, and you'll have an opportunity to have them come help you move. And that's just the way life works. Our tagline this, this time around for this on-ramp is, life happens here. It goes on all these different scenarios. And that's where we want to invite people into. Are you going to grow in your Bible knowledge? Yes. But hopefully more importantly, you're going to grow in your understanding of the Bible and you're going to grow in your obedience to the Bible. So not just a bunch of head knowledge. Let's go back to eternity for a moment. Before I tell you what they are, let's go back to eternity. If you think through community groups in light of eternity, you'll see that these three reasons are super, super silly. They're Duraflame. Just to have some friends and game nights, dumb. Don't invest in community group week after week if that's all you're looking for. Just to minister to this body and this mind to kind of fill it up with wisdom and knowledge, dumb. Just to have some support in this portion of my life when eternity looms in front of me, Duraflame, don't come to a community group if these are your motives. If this is what you feel your group has devolved into, go to your leader and graciously, humbly, supportively say, I feel like we're this way. You seem awfully temporal to us. <clears throat> when you keep eternity in mind, you realize that the objective of all Christians is to make disciples of the whole world. And when you see that, you realize this needs an army of people. This needs a cohesive body or unit working together. This needs a grand commander who's calling the shots and leading things and gifting people and moving resources around. And when you think of it that way, and then you apply community groups, small groups, life groups, whatever a church might call to it, all of a sudden you begin to get a more accurate picture of what this whole thing's about. Not the cul de sac of community where you just go round and round with people you may or may not connect with, but eternity in mind. Here's a couple things that they are a community group is a platoon to train with. You know what happens in our men's group every Thursday night? There is theological sharpness that is going on. As iron sharpens iron, so another man sharpens one another. There are times people will be talking and raise their hand and say, you know what, that doesn't sound very biblical. Where do you get that? Where where do you get that line of thinking? Because that sounds an awful lot like humanism to me and not like Christianity. And then we go after that. We don't do it to belittle people. We don't do it to one-up people. None of that spirit is there. But you know what? There's theological sharpness that goes on. There's accountability that goes on. There are drills that go on. I mean, it's like a platoon in some ways. As we're talking through some things, once in a while we'll say, hey, how could we have that conversation? Someone will say, listen, I've got a group of guys that I do X, Y, Z with on Monday nights. I'm praying for them. I've got a burden for them. God's prompting me. How do you guys think I should handle it? We'll start talking through those things. Two weeks ago, one guy at the end of group, after group, he's like, hey, anyone ever run into this with their kid? This is cool. Just see people go, yeah, I've bounced into that. And here's some ideas. Think about this. Maybe you ought to try that. We've got got grandparents in our group, got single people in our group. So we kind of have the whole life spectrum. The other thing that a platoon does, it keeps the mission in mind. We talk about that quite a bit. In light of attorney, let's, let's keep focused on the mission. Here's another thing that community groups at NBC um, are. It's, it's God-focused and others-focused. Love God, love others as yourself. Notice that love yourself is assumed and not commanded. Even those of you who have a low self-esteem and don't think much of yourself and have a lot of self-hate talk, you know what that is? That's still self-love. It's the other side of the coin. It's still focused on yourself. Here's God's loving, generous offer to us. Get your eyes off yourself. You scrape and grab and hoard and try to get you and yours covered, you're going to be miserable in this life. You're going to lose it and give it away. So what if you came to group? What if you came to church God-focused and others-focused every single week? That's our heart and desire. That's different from, well, I'm not being fed here. I'm not welcomed in my group. I'm not connecting. That's the language of the self-obsessed. Ask yourself this question. What if every member in this church were as welcoming as you? What kind of church do we have? What if every member in this church were as generous with their money and their time and their resources and their selves as you? What kind of church do we have? What if every member in this church tried to connect with people and tried to give their life away and make other people's needs more important than than ourselves? If they were all just like you in that regard, what kind of church would we have? I'll tell you what that does for me. That humbles me when I ask those questions. Gives me a great sense that, wow, God, I realize we need a body. It takes all kinds to build a church. I'm thrilled that we don't have everyone as X, Y, Z as me, or else we'd have a terrible church. I need people way, way in front of me on that one so I can kind of see it modeled and, and, and catch up to them. Number three is it's a foundation to grow even more community. Don't think of community groups as the end all to community. If that's it, it's pretty sorry. Once a week for an hour and a half, you connect with your brothers and sisters and that's it, 52 times a year if you're perfect attendance. No, no, no. Think of it as a diving board, a springboard to even more and greater community. We live in a busy place filled with busy people. By devoting your time on a Thursday night from 7 o'clock until 8.30, carving that out, it by nature begins to foster relationship. A lot of times people come, they want to meet with me. I say, you know what? I'd love to meet with you. Come here to the church at 7 o'clock right here back in this room and we'll meet together. It's not that I don't love you, but I can't possibly meet with 100 people. So let's get together on that. Let's let's meet together on a Thursday night. I've seen friendships. I've seen Bible studies. I've seen support and accountability groups. I've seen ministry teams all form regularly out of our community groups. That's the way it ought to be. We don't program a lot of those things in because those happen by nature as people carve out time to be in community with one another. Finally, it's an apologetic, which is a fancy word for a defense of Christianity. They'll know you are Christians by your, what? Love for one another, by how you treat one another. John 17, Jesus praying, I do not ask for these only, talking about Christian unity, but also, catch this, for those who will believe through their word. That's us. That's disciples who believe through the apostles' word. Jesus is praying for us right here. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our community, our connectedness, our life together is an incomplete apologetic. I say incomplete because of this. Uh, Lots of people like to quote Francis of Assisi, who says, Preach the gospel at all times, If if necessary, use words. I don't see that as being biblical. I see the Bible saying, open your mouth, share the good news. How are they going to know unless you use your tongue? Now, if that's all it is, that's lame. People will see through that in a heartbeat. They won't listen to your message. You know what the sign and wonder is for our day and age? It's Christian community. People walk through these doors and go, man, there's something different here. I can't put my finger on it. There's just something about what's going on. I know what it is. It's the love that brothers and sisters have because of their union in Jesus Christ. All right, here's where we're going now. We use the term on-ramp for uh, joining up in community groups. And on-ramp provides time and space for people to get kind of up to speed on something. And that's exactly what people need relationally in a community group. We're making a big ask today to say those of you who are in a community group, stay in one. Those of you who aren't in one yet, this is your next step. We, are, we have made some intentional momentum so that it will be easy for you. And in an on-ramp scenario, there's good signage so everyone knows what's going on. An on-ramp allows those who are already on the road to make room, adjust their speed, and welcome those on to the road. Now, that's laughable on our freeways, Correct. That just underscores how sinful we all are. We're like, that's not real. It's supposed to be that way. When you see merge ahead, if you're already on the road, it's to be mindful of that. It's to to give way and let them come onto the freeway. That's what we want to be doing with this. When you think about an on-ramp, you realize that it requires decisive commitment. I'm training my second driver now in our van. And I never thought I'd say this to a 15-year-old, but sometimes I shout, floor it. Lower it now! Hit it hard! Right? And he's like, wait! It's a van. Like We don't go very fast. <laughs> I say that because it requires decisive commitment to get on a freeway. Once you're on a freeway, guess what? You're committed to going for a little while. There's an off-ramp up, up ahead, but it's not just one week away. We're asking you to come in for the next six to eight weeks. We'd like you to give this group a chance. We'd like you, we'd like you to commit to this. It's not for a lifelong. You don't get on a freeway and it's a lifelong decision. You know there's off-ramps. And we build and, and create off-ramps into groups. Sometimes a group just doesn't work out. That's okay. We get that. Try a different group. Start a group if one doesn't fit you. Here's the action items. Let me get the uh, community group leaders to come on up here uh, to the front. You're going to hear from each of our community group leaders right now. Um number 1 is this I want you to consider the life that Christ called us to. Come on up guys just right in front here actually. If you know this is where you need to go, then you'll take the road to get there. Some people are scared to jump on a freeway, but if it's taken them where they, know they need to know they need to go, they'll they'll get there. Number 2 is to be attentive There's all kinds of things you can do while driving. I've seen people eating breakfast burritos, doing makeup, shaving, reading, learning how to use an iPhone. I mean, it's crazy out there. That frightens all the cyclists out here to death, right? There's lots of things you can do while driving, but it doesn't mean you should be doing them. The reason I say be attentive is this. If your marriage was in trouble right now, you might carve out some time and devote some time to getting your marriage straight because it's really important. You're going to give devoted, focused, attentive time to that. Some of you are living isolated, unconnected lives, and you have for a long time. Now's the time to step in, give some devoted, focused time to that. Finally, here's the third one, is to hit the gas. Once in a while, when driving with me, you'll hear me say, it's the pedal on the right. I'm behind someone who's going very, 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 <laughs> very slow. slow. And I just will remind them from the comfort of my own car, (laughs) the pedal on the right. Please go. Um, Some people live the ready, aim lifestyle. Christians are, are notorious for this. Ready, aim. Adjust the aim. Ready, aim, aim. We need to get ready some more. Ready, aim. Fire already. But it's risky. Yeah, to love is to risk. I get that. Welcome to the human race. Here's how we're using the rest of our time. You're going to hear from each of these leaders. Every single one of these leads some kind of a group throughout the midweek. Maybe you didn't realize how much is going on midweek around here. That's because it doesn't all happen here. We're going to start actually with Ben down at the far right and we're going to work our way here. They're going to tell you a little bit about their group briefly, and then they're going to let you know where they're going to be in the room because we're about to dismiss, and you're going to have an opportunity to just meet them, grab a card, and fill out a little thing saying, here's my name. I want to find out more about this group. Go, Ben. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this precious group of people, God. You know, uh, just the heart of of the shepherds here at this church has been, God, that you would care for your sheep. And we thank you for calling us as under-shepherds to give our lives to that to do so joyfully uh, and to do so sacrificially and to do so in a way that honors you. God, as we have um, our community group leaders who have invested time, who have been through training, who, um, who are in a, in a support system themselves, God, uh, so that they can, from a healthy place and a, and a pure motivation, uh, be devoting themselves, God, to other people. We pray for great increase, Lord, not just from people within uh, the sound of our voice, but we all know people, God, who need this, who need to be connected to you first and then to a group of of um, believers who are, who are accomplishing the mission together. We pray uh, this in your name. We thank you so much for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.